Well, as I prayed this morning um, and talked about, we have been enjoying Rush, uh, 50 youth groups from across British Columbia, uh, over a thousand teenagers gathered on Friday night um, down at, at um, Kelowna Senior School, uh, down by the college there, and uh, the atmosphere was brilliant. I saw a lot of you who I can look around had, had uh, shared uh, Facebook posts and Instagram and so on. Absolutely fantastic atmosphere of God at work. So at the moments like that, you sit back. I was down there for quite a while, hanging around. I, I really wasn't doing anything. I just felt like I was like, uh, you know... Hi, how you doing? Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is brilliant. The prayer room was full up. I felt like Ron Cannon. And, and it was brilliant. If Ron's in this morning, God bless you. And that's uh, our MP. And thank uh, people. And just uh, what immense pride and what immense sense of goodness, pride in a good sense of all that God is doing and all that God is working. And just seeing, uh, uh, going into the prayer room, Packed out with young people seeking and giving their lives to Jesus. Packed out with young people dealing with issues and, and, and problems of teenage life. Problems we didn't even, uh, for many of us, didn't even know existed when we were teenagers. You know, self-harm, uh, as they call cutting. Uh, drug issues, of course. Issues of... Um, of, of of bullying and pain, the, the, the weight that teenagers carry in our world and society is immense now. And maybe you've come into Willow Park Church and this morning and um, people are volunteering and uh, people, our teenagers are all down there, my teenager down there running backwards and forwards. We had um, scores of teenage girls sleeping in our basement over the weekend. God, Lord, help me. And... The noise was endless, the dog was mad, but Jesus was glorified. And, and maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, you're new, boy, wow, what's going on at this church? Listen, if you're new, we welcome you. We're glad. We're glad that you're here uh, because we want to tell you as we, as we step in, this is a church that loves to welcome everybody. And this is a church that loves to welcome. You may be an unbeliever, in other words, have no faith, but you're checking it out. We are glad you're here. In fact, last Monday evening, Alpha started with 40 participants, uh, which was fantastic. And uh, our care group next step, which uh, enables you to get ready in your care group to launch a journey in small groups. Uh, 20, 25 people have been gathering there, which has been fantastic. And we're excited about these things. But we're working our way through different aspects of the buck of Ephesians. And uh, we're talking about, in this little section of it, the upright living. And of course, we started off and I preached in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and spoke about from the doxology how God the Father has adopted us and loved us. Jesus Christ has forgiven us. I spoke about how the Holy Spirit has sealed that like a stamp, a seal on our hearts that we have got God's presence. The following week, we talked about the reality of, of the revelation that we've received, that that which has been 
not shown to us as Christians, has suddenly become real to us and we know it and we see it and we understand it. And, and we saw that and we talked about the power of revelation and understanding the mysteries of God that have been revealed to us. And I talked about the telescope, how you can't see much in the sky, but when you've got the right telescope, you can see the immense beauty and wonder of the cosmos. And this is what Christ has revealed to us. We were once unable to see things, but suddenly the cosmos glory of God has been revealed, the deep mysteries of God. Then the third week we talked about about the whole issue of walls, breaking down walls. That, that, that people love to create walls. In the temple there were more walls than there should have been. It stopped people going into God's holy presence. It stopped Gentiles from praying. It stopped people engaging. And we talked about that what the gospel does, it breaks down all walls so that every human being can engage with the living God. And that the two great rivers, if you like, the river of of the Jewish faith has now, um, as it were, developed into this massive river that's heading towards the ocean of God of all humanity that has the opportunity to step into the age to come. Now you may be a visitor, you may think, what are you talking about? I don't really understand this. Well, that's okay because I'm, I'm working through a book called Ephesians and we're understanding key areas of this book before we step into a, a teaching on the armor of God and what that means. But maybe even try reading it. If you're not a Christian or you've slipped away from God, it, you can still read the Bible, by the way. And that's really good. And, and of course, last week you had a Scottish man come and preach. I know. I'm sorry for you. And <laughs> one of my old friends, we first preached together at 17 and we we're both Mennonite brethren. And you can tell he's from Scotland, I'm from England. And we're now uh, part of our lovely conference. And so you had that and he came and preached, of course, about the power of adoption, the power of the gospel to take our broken lives and bring hope and bring change. This is, Ephesians is that that book in the Bible that really talks about real life right now and how we live and how we cope with issues within our life and within our society. And, um, and it, was, it was terrific. And while, while he was preaching, I, of course, was in my favorite province of Saskatchewan. And it was there. It was okay. It was beautiful. Minus 27, snowstorm, perfect. And, and I met... Three families from Willow Park Church flying backwards and forwards on the same plane visiting relatives. And we just looked at each other and went, I'm glad I live in Cologne. I mean, look, it's spring and it's not even March. So it's fantastic. And we understand that. So we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 5. Because Ephesians chapter 5 picks up on a theme that, that Paul has been talking about through 3 and 4. And a word that we keep understanding that keeps coming to the surface, which is walk. And he's very concerned about the way that we walk in our Christian living. Now for me, I don't know about you, uh, I come from a non-Christian family background, no generations of Christians. So for me, and this is what Paul's struggling with in the opening verses of chapter 5, for me, my life had no foundation when I became a, a Christian, before I became a Christian. 
It had no direction. Uh, life kind of punched and pushed me around. And the values that I took on, and for some of you this is same. if you're raised uh, with no faith, you know, it was quite acceptable to sleep around. It was quite acceptable to, to uh, consume vast amounts of alcohol to get a high. It was quite acceptable that when your friend uh, came to you and said, hey, I think I've got my girlfriend pregnant for a, a, a teenager in those mid-teens, it was quite acceptable. Didn't even think twice about talking about termination. And I remember those days vividly as I was an unbeliever, son of an atheist, with no faith in my life. Maybe that's like you. And I remember that things were just accepted. It was just accepted that you would have sex before you were married. It was just accepted, and I was given this advice by my mother, that probably it would be a good idea that I lived with somebody for a while before I chose to marry them. This was just accepted. It was accepted that this is the way that we would live in European society. And it was accepted that this is the way we would operate. And yet it felt, it felt rudderless. I felt empty. I felt as if something was missing. And what was missing for me, the day I became a Christian, I realized that I'd been drinking out of the sustenance of life, out of a muddy, filthy pool, rather than a bubbling brook of all that God wants to give. And sometimes you may think, well, that's right. I mean, yes, uh, for sex is a gift from God. It is a gift of intimacy within covenant, within relationship before the living God. It is that union that exists. And yet what the world has done has turned it, in my experience, into a muddy puddle whereby this great moment in our life uh, should bring us such fulfillment actually brought, and I observed this amongst my peers, brought them pain and brought them difficulty and brought them confusion not freedom. Why? Because the sexualized uh, world that we live in and the values that I've just described that I experienced in my own life were values and experience that brought no substance and no strength and was that muddy pool rather than that, that blazing, glorious, fresh stream. See, God has laid banks and guidelines. And when you walk within God's banks of God's guidelines, you know God's blessing and God's presence. When you you move out from them, you experience what it means to understand that that battle that goes in. In fact, the the word that is used in in, in Ephesians 5 is, is wrath. It's not that God looked at me as a teenager and wanted to pour his wrath on me. It was the way I lived created a negative response in my life. And the laws of God's universe like to work within me that created pain and agony because I was not living according to God's best ways. His wrath was at work in my life before I became a Christian. I felt it, believe me. I knew it. For those of you that lived a non-Christian life and made poor choices outside of God's riverbanks, you know you feel the agony and it feels like the wrath of life is against you when you make those decisions. Does that make sense? And he's saying, Paul is saying here, it's no different in ancient Ephesus. It's no different in ancient Rome. 
Because the whole world was sexualized. The whole world was driven by a desire to please oneself and one's body. The whole world was obsessed. You only have to look at, at uh, paintings on walls in villas in Pompeii. And, and understand what from AD 67, you see them and you see the, the complexity but the immorality. And yet Paul is writing within this context. And you may think of your life, and you may feel like something is missing. You may wonder, well, what is the right way? What is the right path? What is it meant to be like within my life? Well, I'm going to get some good news for you. I'm going to talk to you about an amazing truth that he teaches that affects the whole of the book of Ephesians here in this. And that you can, rather than feeling you're drinking from a kind of dirty puddle of life, you can drink from the springs of living waters that Jesus Christ offers to you. You can know that. Maybe you are looking for that. Maybe you know that what you're living or even the form of Christianity you are living is not working for you in reality. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants to work for you. He wants to come and he wants to speak to you. So let's just start at verse 6. And... um, He's already talked about this age of where people are teaching and he's coming against their teaching. They're teaching it's all right to do what you want and live the way that you want. There was a a battle with a group called the Gnostics that was happening, whereby as long as your soul was all right, it did not matter what you did with your body. And there's a bit of that now, false teaching around the church. That you're under God's grace, therefore you can do what you want. And you know I don't believe that. I believe the power of repentance is the door to true freedom. And yet, he said, let no one deceive you. He's talking about these people with empty words. These people that are clever with theology and say, yeah, it's all right to live together. It'd be fine. It won't create any problems. It's fine to just, you know, if you really love each other, to sleep together. Because true love and God's into true love. See, this is the context. But he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. My disobedience creates something that is negative in my life. So my great mandate in life is what? To be obedient to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's our call. That every one of us, we have to be willing to be obedient. Obedience is key. But they says, therefore, do not, verse 7, do not become partners with them. In other words, don't allow them to grab hold of you and that you you engage in this in partnership. This isn't where we're going to land. And verse 8 says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Let's, Let's stop here on this verse. And as we just hang this verse up, let me back up. You see, what Paul is actually teaching us is this. That as members of the body of Christ, we were never meant to be isolationists and never meant to create our own little communities so that we never engage in the world. What he's teaching us here is to live upright in the world. In other words, we can. 
You see, when Christian communities become isolated and separated, two things happen. First of all, that Christian community dies. And secondly, spiritually, they lose a dynamic component of spiritual life, which is mission. And we know that from Christian communities on the prairies. We've seen them, where they become so isolated and so inward looking that they've lost their original vision of transformation of hermeneutic of community and suddenly they become trapped in this. I see this in my own nation in the denomination I was converted into which was Plymouth Brethren and the old brethren were dynamic evangelists engaging in the world, spirit-filled believers but they became tighter and tighter and closed to need letters to come to the church to be led in the, in, the, in, the, in the mission halls where all the windows became blacked out and let me tell you that the vast majority of those original brethren gospel halls are dead or closed or there's 12 people sat around the Lord's table waiting for him to come back in glory. Well let me tell you you the church will not be hidden in a small little chapel waiting for the king of kings to come back the church will blaze in this world it makes no sense that in the last days the church is hiding away when we need to be a voice in society and what in Ephesians 5 he's actually saying is listen church you live with a lot of temptation and pressure but you can live right You are here to challenge the world. You are here to come against values, yes. But you are here as a voice. So let me tell you something. He says in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Something remarkable about this text. It's this. That sometimes what we feel and what we think is that when we become a Christian, this is true by the way, but that we were in darkness and we moved from a dark room, a dark place, into a light room. Fantastic. And I was once in darkness, I was once blind, but now I can see how many great hymns have been sang that way, yes? So I was in darkness and I came into a light. But Paul is not writing that sentiment here. Actually, Paul is saying, you were not only in darkness, but you were darkness. Darkness dwelt within you. Maybe that's hard for you to understand if you're not a Christian, but darkness before you find Christ is within us because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So darkness is in us. So he's saying, not only were you in darkness, but you were. You had darkness within you. But what happened? Well, now you've come into a light. But this is the amazing thing about this text. In the context of what he's writing in the Roman Empire, he's not saying not only have you come into light, but what is he actually saying? He's saying you are light. Sorry? No, he's saying you are a light. So not only have you received light, but you are a light. And that God has called the Christians to not live outside of society in the world, but he's called us to shine brightly as a light in this world. When you look at yourself, don't look at somebody who's just come into the light. Look at yourself as if Paul looked at you. You are light. 
You're a light bulb in this dark world. You're a flashlight in this dark world. And if you speak English, you are a torch in this dark world. See, I know how to please my wife. And you may say, well, you didn't please her last week because she went and preached in Saskatchewan on Valentine's Day. Um, I did, she let me go. She released me, and that's how much she loves me. Go, my darling, and preach the gospel to 150 young pastors. And that was a great time. And then we had Valentine's Day on August. No, August. <laughs> on August the 15th. Yeah, it was beautiful. On February the 15th. <laughs> So, you know, so I had to return bearing gifts from Saskatchewan, which is fantastic because Saskatoon Airport has many wonderful gifts to take home. Not. And so, I, um, but spring is coming. And you go, okay, what's the job that we have to do at spring? Clean our windows. Do you know there is no greater moment when I've cleaned every window in our house and to really make it the effect work, I make sure Shell's out the house. She was here last night and laughing about it with me. Shell's out the house and when, and when she returns, all the windows are cleaned. It's nothing better than doing it yourself. I've tried window cleaners. But you know what? You get the windows out, you spray them down, you get all the winter muck off, you get it cleared, you get the old vinegar on it and scrub it and the newspaper, right? And then you put it back in, what do you always say? I can't believe how clean it is. Look at the light. And I think for some of us, what we've got to learn to realize is that we are God's light in the world because of Christ. But some of our windows in the way that we allow that light to shine have become murky and dirty. And we need to clean the windows of our life. You are light. And Luke chapter 21 verse 12 teaches that that when you do good things and when you do things for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you store up, and Jesus taught this, treasure in heaven yourself. And I want to live as light. And he's saying in the middle of this, you're not just people that have gone from darkness, but now you are people that are living in a glorious light. You are light. You know, every time you witness to somebody and share Christ with them, I like to think there's a little bit of heavenly treasure in heaven. That person that you ran home from work and helped them out and sorted their family out and delivered a meal to their house, there's a little bit of silver heavenly bullion on your account. I like to think that you're shining. The time that you served, the time that you gave, you know, I'm not interested in storing up glories here, but I want to store up treasures in heaven because God has called me to be a light. So he goes on and he says, you know, for you were once in darkness, but now a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of what? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So how do you really live as a light? You live as a light by doing what pleases God. 
What, is, what have you done this week? What have I done that you know has really pleased the Lord? That has to be the key, isn't it? What are you doing in your life that pleases the Lord is the biggest question I have to ask myself. The way I treat this person, the way I prayed with that person, I met with this person. There are things I do all the time that I sense God's pleasure. I met early this morning with a young leader who I'm discipling. God's pleasure was there. I helped my neighbor over the road and chatted to him, hung out with my neighbors and, and moved, a, he asked me, moved a massive piano. <laughs> that was not a blessing. But... But, you know, yeah, I'm connecting, I'm, I'm serving, I'm being neighborly. That pleases the Lord. When I get up in the morning with my Bible and my journal and I listen to his voice and consume scripture, I'm pleasing the Lord. But he keeps using this word in this text, particularly there in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live or how you walk. Not as the unwise, but as the wise. You see, he's writing here, have nothing to do with, I'm going back to verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what is disobedient, do what you do in secret. But everything exposed by the light comes visible. So he's talking about this, this battle that takes on. And then he, 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 he says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now I'm reading from two different versions. That's the New English Standard and this is the NIV. If you're not familiar with church, that's just a different way of writing it and a, a helpful way of thinking about it. But in the NIV, he uses in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. And, and in the English Standard Version, be very careful how you walk. This is interesting because they're obviously struggling about the interpretation of the Greek. What's he saying? In other words, when you live for Christ, it is a walk. And when you walk for Christ, it's the way that you live that counts. You're on a massive pilgrimage. You're on a massive journey. We're on a massive journey to walk. I love walking. I love walk every day. We love to walk. Michelle and I love to walk. And we, 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 we get on that path and we walk. Most days we walk about between four and five miles a day. We walk, we pray, we talk, we try and carve some time out. And, and do that. And I, I bought a great Christmas present. This is bragging today. Um, called a Fitbit. And what it does is when you've walked 10,000 steps, it shakes. Brilliant. And it tells you, you've done it. And you get a little gold star. A reward. Not in heaven, but on the Mac computer. And you get an award. And, and, and walking has been a big part of my life. But what the Paul wants to teach the church here is this. It's a way, it's about, first of all, it's about the way we walk correctly. There's an incorrect way to walk in Christian faith, and there's a correct way. And secondly, choose the right path. 
And that path is Christ. That path is following his commandments. That path is following the gospel. That path is walking consistently with the Lord and walking. And this is where I really want to land this. Because I want to encourage you that you walk correctly and deeply within your walk with Christ. That you have begun a long journey. I remember praying as as an older teenager, God, just let me serve you for the rest of my life and never let me be distracted from serving you. I want to enter the kingdom of God having served you strong for the whole of my life. What about you? Is that your prayer? Are you on the long pilgrimage? Are you on the long walk? Are you keep going? Are you going to back off? Or have you Stop to live and stop to walk in the, right, in the right way or you've gone off the path. I've walked a lot around here. I've done the High Rind Trail from Joe Rich to Vernon in 15 hours. I've done all the paths around here. Just walked them and walked them. Met many of you on those walks. Met bears on those walks. But you know... Coming as I do uh, from England, in southern England, it's really interesting because there are paths there called hollowways. And these paths have been there since the Iron Age. And they walked, some of them are pilgrim paths, and some of them are paths that have been there between villages and farmers used for hundreds and hundreds of years. The youngest one is 300 years old. You can imagine what they're like. But they're unlike, they don't exist in the northern area, but they exist in the southern counties because of the ground is soft and the rock isn't hard. And, and you walk onto these paths that link often churches and cathedrals and market towns together. And they go for miles. And many people don't know they even exist because, because they've been there for so long. The path itself has, has gone so deep into the land that you can't see it from the top. But these paths called hollowways are so deep. Sometimes they're 6, 12 feet deep with trees all around and tunnels because you know that this place has been... Um, has been walked for so long. This is an example of one. Now, when you walk through them, and there's hundreds of these, it's very humbling. It's humbling because you know that this path has been created by a habit. But the habit of walking this land, maybe to go to church, as often it was, has been created on soft soil. You see, if you're going to walk right... You need a soft heart. You need to build habits. And those habits need to wear away the the sinfulness of self and draw a deep path within your life that you are serving Christ. How is your heart? How is your long distance journey with Christ? 
And if you're not a Christian, you can get on one of these paths of your, uh, uh, your path of Christ and know that it goes deep, know that it goes far, know that it's, it's there. And as you soften your heart towards the Lord and build in strong habits, you know that you're on the right path. Now, come on, you have chosen to follow Christ and don't live your life in a lukewarm way. Live your life on fire for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Get on the right path. Get out deep. Build the habits that create the footprints in your life that take you on a journey to the place where God wants you to be. And you can do it within this world. It's a beautiful thing about the hollow ways, huh? They run through the countryside. Nobody can see them from above, but they're deep there. See, walking is mentioned... Numerous times in the Bible. Number one is, God loves to walk. He loves it. Do you know God's a walker? Well, I say, well, what do you mean? Genesis 3, verse 8, true? In the call of the evening, what did the Lord do? He came to them and he walked with them. This is so important for you to understand. You're on the... The deep, hollow way of your walk with Christ. And I want you to know this, that you don't walk through life alone. You walk through life with a walking partner. And God himself travels with you. He is with you. You know how wonderful it is to walk with people you love? I love it. Family walks with the kids. They're not always that exciting. And sometimes I've had too much. And come on. You can do it. No, I want to sit down here and cry. Please, come on, Michelle. Just keep going. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't help. I could hear the joke coming in my head. You know, you're dragging the kids, but still, when you grow up, what do you remember? Those walks with your parents and your grandparents through those long little paths and running around. They seemed so long and yet they were so short, but it was the people that you walked with that made the difference, correct? God is walking with you. See, Leviticus, Leviticus 26, verse 12 when he's talking about the Lord's presence and the Lord's glory and the camp of Israel, they were camped and the, and the tents were all there. Who walked amongst the, the whole of the camp? Who walked amongst them? God himself came into their midst and walked amongst them in Leviticus 26, verse 12. And that's what he wants to do in our camps, in our families, in our lives. You have no need to drink from the muddy pool of humanity. You can walk on a pilgrimage that will take you to glory alongside the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he travels on your personal pilgrimage with you. But you've got to be willing to build habits that will change your life and will cause death within your very soul. You say, but Phil, you're always talking about prayer. You're always talking about journaling. You're always talking about reading the Bible as much as you can and devouring it and listening to the voice of the Spirit and asking God to fill you with His Spirit and getting into small groups and opening Bibles and connecting with other people. Of course I am. And coming to church. Of course I am. Because habits create depth. Malachi. In Malachi 2.6, he says, there's a lovely prophetic word when he talks about priests. 
and how these priests will walk with him who is peace and righteousness. Who are the priests today? For some of you, this may surprise you. You are the priests. Priestness of all believers. A key to our Anabaptist faith, our faith that we believe that that we have access to the living God because of Christ's death on the cross. Every one of us. Think about this. You're a priest in the kingdom of God and who's walking beside you? But Christ himself. Oh, Enoch walked with God. Remember that? And how he knew God's presence walking with God. Noah walked with God. And God gave him schemes and patterns and plans of, of, the, of the ark. God loves to walk with his people. See, not only does he love to walk with his people, but he loves that we would walk as a virtuous life. That's why this easy grace doesn't work for me. That's why I am always on my knees dealing with every area of my sinfulness because I want to be free. I want to be pure and I want to hear his voice walking. Oh, he has cleansed me. You think of, look at these statements, but look at a, a beautiful psalm, Psalm 1 and verse 1. Do not, you know, walk with the mockers and sit in the seat of those of unrighteous. You know, we have a choice of who we're going to walk with in terms of virtue, ethics, and the way we treat business, family, and life. Nebuchadnezzar knew what it was to walk in the wrong way and walk in pride. And what did God do to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel? He humbled him. He humbled. And of course, if we move it quickly to the New Testament... In the beautiful gospel of John, who are we called in the New Testament? We are called the ones who walk the way. There's a film called The Way, by the way. <laughs> it's worth watching on Netflix. It's about a pilgrimage across France to Spain for 700 miles in a, a self-centered, self-driven Money crazed dentist. I'm not against dentists. Actually, no, he's not a dentist, he's an optician. Forgive me, dentists. <laughs> it's just either a dentist or an optician. Son dies on this path and he goes and he does the long journey and experiences a, a marvelous moment. But walking as follows of the way was a metaphor in John. Walking now becomes a metaphor for the whole of the Christian life. You, you have to choose. You have to really choose decisively is what he's saying. You have to choose whether you are going to walk with Christ or walk on the paths of this world. You have to choose the kind of habits you build within your life and whether the path that you build is a light and almost you can't see it or it's a path that is like a hollow way. It goes deep, deep into the ground of your life and takes you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have to decide what is priority in your life, or if you've been on the wrong path and drinking from the stagnant, muddy pools of what humans create rather than the glorious streams of what God creates. 
that means making changes. It means changing habits. It means getting plugged in. It means opening your Bible now. It means asking the Lord to speak to you afresh. I sat with a young man this morning, discipling him, and I just looked across. He's going to be a missionary. And I just said, um, so what was the last thing God said to you? He went, oh, stood back. I could see the whole restaurant went quiet. He said, you know, nobody's ever asked me that question. That's a good question. Asked him how his relationship was with Christ. What was the last thing God said to him? It made him think. That should be our first question. Should be our first question for all of us. And we as a lovely church, are we willing to build those habits? You know, I keep saying that the most important meeting is this Monday night in this place. It's not in the gym, it's in this church where a hundred or so of us have been gathering to pray once a month for Rush, for Living Nativity. We're going to pray for Easter. You know what? My prayer for 2015 is that by the end of the year, we will have 200 people regularly gathering once a month for prayer because we want God to walk amongst our camp and we want to hear his voice and we want him with us. That would be amazing. So you've got a choice to walk correctly. This sermon was meant to be a lot longer. You see, that was long. Sorry. And part two next week, I'm going to talk about walking in the spirit is where this lands. So the question is, we walk correctly, we walk deeply, we walk on the path, we are lights. But how do you walk in the spirit? And how, when you walk in the spirit, does submission work? Wives, husbands, slaves, masters. How does submission work in this context? And I can't wait to preach about submission. But I might surprise you (laughs) in a very positive and wonderful way. Let's pause and pray. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. The priests in Malachi were declared that they would walk as priests with the Lord. And Jesus comes and says, come and walk with me. You will now walk with God. Family, search your heart now about habits that you're missing that are stopping you from going deep and determine in the next seven days to pick up a good habit that will start to wear away on soft soil and create a deep path in your life. But maybe you're not a Christian here. Maybe you're distant from Christ. Maybe you're on the wrong path, you've climbed out the hollow way, and you are lost in the woods. And this morning, I've got good news for you. Christ will receive you back.